The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. With you, please go ahead and turn to Psalm 18. This psalm actually appears twice in the Bible. It can also be found in 2 Samuel 22 in the history and record of David's life. Psalm 18 is a 50-verse psalm, so I hope you packed your lunches. We might be here for a while. Uh, but for the sake of time, we won't be able to make it through each and every verse, uh, but we will walk through the whole chapter together and extract the main theme of Psalm 18 as we go. So to set us up for the whole chapter, we're going to read verses one through three this morning. So stand with me, if you will, in honor of the reading of God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of Saul and all his enemies. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Let's pray. God, I pray that through the understanding of your word that our hearts would be filled with praise, adoration, and worship at our great deliverer, God. I pray that you would speak through your word this morning and change and transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody loves a good rescue story. And over a few months this summer, we had the chance to watch an incredible one unfold with the boys on the soccer team from Thailand. They were trapped in a cave with rising water and decreasing oxygen levels, no food or water, and things felt helpless for them and for the millions of people who were watching their story unfold around the world. But after a few days of being trapped, help finally arrived. They were able to bring food, oxygen, blankets, and other supplies. And it seemed like there was a plan and a good path forward to get these boys and their coach out of the cave. But then it seemed like in a moment, things changed again for the worse. And their lives were in danger as oxygen levels got dangerously low and they had to get the boys out immediately. Things went into emergency mode. They brought divers in and led the boys out through dangerous and dark caves. Now, maybe it was just the media hype, but for me, as I was following the story, it seemed like there was a legitimate chance that some of these boys really might not survive. And if you were following the story, you know that there was a Navy SEAL diver who lost his life in the midst of the process. But I remember waking up the morning after the rescue was going to happen and, and looking forward with anticipation to, to seeing the headline, to see if these boys had all made it out of the cave. And indeed, they had. And what made the outcome of this story so exciting was the severity of the threat that they were facing. The reason that the joy was so deep at their rescue was because the threat of death was so imminent. 
This is where David finds himself in Psalm 18. Having overcome all of his enemies, specifically the threat of Saul who had been hunting for his life, David bursts out into a psalm of praise at God's deliverance. Deliverance from the ongoing and multiple threats of death. In this psalm, David shows us God as the great deliverer. So the main point of the message today is that God is to be praised for delivering his servants from all of their enemies. And the first thing that you see in verses one through three is that David praises God for his deliverance. And he begins with a a strong and somewhat unusual declaration. I love you, David says. I love you, O Lord, my strength. This specific word for love is used 91 times in the Old Testament, but it exclusively speaks of God's love and compassion toward his people, never from man back up to God, with the exception being right here in Psalm 18. So what David is communicating is an intense and passionate love for God. It's as if he's saying to God, I love you in the same way that you love your people which is a staggering claim for David to make. It's with the same unfailing, faithful, covenant love that God has for people. And David says, God, I love you that much. And he continues his praise for God in verse two by stacking up name after name for God that demonstrates God's power, protection, and faithfulness. So in just verses one and two, we see David use eight different words for God. He calls him his strength, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his rock, again, although it's a different Hebrew word that time, his shield, his horn of salvation, and his stronghold. It's as if David can't come up with enough ways to communicate all the ways that God has come through for him in this season of conflict and difficulty, difficulty, where he's been relentlessly pursued by his enemies. If you can imagine, David probably has a different story behind each name for God, a different way that he can remember that God has delivered him and protected his servant. And in verse three, we see David call upon the Lord. Now this is not uncommon in the Psalms. We've seen David call upon the Lord often But in verse three, he's calling on God in a different way than what we're used to seeing. He's not calling on God in a moment of need. He's calling on God in a moment of worship. How quickly we might seek God in a moment of desperation, but how quickly we tend to forget to call on him when he answers us. One of my favorite aspects of studying through the Psalms as a church has been how I've learned to pray in moments of distress. But here, David reminds us to pray also in moments of triumph, to remember God's deliverance and to call on him in thanksgiving and praise. Now, as we keep moving, you'll see the the reason why David comes out of the gates so strong, why his praise for God seems to overwhelm him, why he begins this psalm with such full throttle excitement. It's because as we'll see in verses four through 45, the Lord God powerfully acts to deliver his servant from insurmountable circumstances. So the bulk of this psalm is describing two things, the desperation of David's distress and the decisive and definitive response of God. 
So the first thing to note in verses four through six is just how dark David's distress had become. This is a quote. First Samuel 18 through 31 records David running from Saul. Those narratives are fascinating if you're sitting in a library, but for David, it was otherwise. He was hated, hunted, and haunted by Saul. First Samuel chapter 23 gives us a glimpse of one of those instances. In verses 24 through 28, it says this, "'Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, "'in the Areba to the south of Jeshimon. "'And Saul and his men went to seek him. "'And David was told about this, "'so he went down to the rock "'and lived in the wilderness of Maon. "'And when Saul heard that, "'he pursued David again into the wilderness of Maon. "'Saul went on one side of the mountain, "'and David and his men went on the other side of the mountain.' and David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David to capture him, a messenger came to Saul and said, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the rock of escape. So we can't let our familiarity of these events detract away from the emotion that David must have felt in moments like these. He was literally running for his life with a king and his soldiers in hot pursuit and closing in. He was having to hide from armies. He was hiding in caves. He was having restless, sleepless nights and living with deep anxiety. And in verse four of Psalm 18, he gives a horrid description of how he felt. Look at verse four. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. What David is saying is that death was literally closing in on all sides. There was nowhere to go. It's around him like a rope. It's overcoming him like the waves. It's confronting him, staring him down right in the face. I don't know if any of you have ever had a near-death experience before, but it is frightening. I've had two. Saying that they were near-death experiences might be a bit dramatic, but they both certainly put the fear of death inside my heart. One was when I was six years old, and we lived in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and our house was struck and destroyed by a tornado. My dad had just left earlier that morning for a deacon's retreat, and my mom was cooking dinner in the kitchen while rain, thunder, and lightning were pounding outside. This was before smartphones and we had lost cable due to the storms and so we weren't able to, even able to track the storm on the news. As we were sitting down to eat, uh, we had a window right out front of our uh, kitchen table and my mom had the wherewithal to see the wind whirling in the backyard. She took us down into the base, basement, me, my brother, and sister, where we hid under a mattress while we literally heard the tornado tearing our house apart. We had locked the door to the room where we were taking cover, but it was like there was an army of men outside the door, shaking the door, trying to get in. We felt like the wind was just moments away from bursting in and sweeping us away. And in that moment of helplessness, with a six-year-old, eight-year-old, and a 10-year-old, I'll never forget this. My mom asked us to pray. 
I don't even think we were Christians yet. But she recognized that we were at the complete mercy of the storm. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. We could only appeal to a God who had authority and power over that storm. In the same way, David being surrounded by death on all sides knew that he was powerless to overcome his enemies. But he also knew that he served a God who would answer him when he called. So that's exactly what he did. Look at verse six. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. David called upon the Lord and the Lord listened. And what we see in verses seven through 19 is God's response to David's prayer. Now this is kind of a long passage, but it's worth reading together. So let's read verses seven through 15. Then after David has prayed to the Lord, the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he, that is God, was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. What we encounter in verses seven through 15 is nothing short of a cosmic level response. If you were to remove this passage from its context, you would probably think that we were reading the book of Revelation or a, a judgment discourse from the prophets where God judges the nations for their countless transgressions, but no. Verse seven through 15 are God's response to his servant's simple prayer. This Psalm gave new meaning for me to James five sixteen. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When we pray, we unleash the power of God. Now, while God's response to David's prayer might seem strange or dramatic at first glance, in reality, David is showing us something about God that is profound. In our comfy American Christianity, people often think of God as a sweet old man who wants to help us live happy lives. But the Bible teaches a radically different description of God. God is a warrior who fights for and rescues his people. So this terrifying picture of God, get this, it isn't terrifying to David, it's comforting. Here's a quote. The portrayal of God's indignation and readiness to vindicate gives comfort to the psalmist. He does not fear God's coming in anger. Why? Because his father comes to his rescue. When I was in middle school, I was about four foot six and probably 85 pounds, but I loved to play football. 
And I went to a really small Christian school in Georgia with a terrible team. And week after week, I would line up against boys that looked like they should be trying out for the Carolina Panthers. And week after week during warmups, I would look across the field and be filled with anxiety as I prepared myself for the soreness that would follow the game. But when I was in eighth grade, we moved to Charlotte where I went to a school with a great football team. And I remember the first day of practice in eighth grade, seeing these guys who were enormous. And when I saw these guys, I was not filled with fear as I had been in Georgia. Now I was filled with confidence. Why? Because they were on my team and they weren't gonna be hitting me. They were gonna be hitting the other guys. That's what David is doing for the Christian in these verses. He's building confidence in us that this terrifying, powerful, authoritative God is for us. He is on our side and there is no better news in the universe. And it's this confidence in God that drives David to pray and should drive us to pray in time of need. In verses 16 through 19, we see God's response continuing, but it transitions from his ferocious response to the enemy to his tender response to David. God's love for his servant is beautifully expressed by a series of verbs in these verses. So pay attention to the verbs. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God will deliver his people. He will avenge the enemy and he will rescue his servant. Now in verses 20 through 27, David shows us God's motivation for deliverance, and that is the Lord's faithfulness. In other words, God delivered David because God is faithful to his own. Let's read 20 through 27. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. It's important right off the bat to recognize that David is not claiming sinlessness in these verses. We have to keep the context of the situation in mind here. When David says that he's righteous and blameless, he's talking about these specific instances in which he is unjustly pursued and persecuted by his enemies. They have no just cause for seeking his life. He's done nothing sinful to provoke them. And all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, we see God's defense of the innocent. So what David is doing in these verses is rightly claiming God's faithfulness to defend the innocent and the needy. Now there's a more subtle opportunity for misinterpretation here. 
that unfortunately has invaded many spaces of the evangelical world. And that is that David is claiming God's deliverance is the result of his obedience. To make the mistake more obvious, you might say, God owed it to David to deliver him because he was obedient. As if David's obedience required God to deliver him from his circumstances. But we've gotta be sure that we're reading this in the full context of scripture. The full story of David's life and the New Testament example of the apostles actually show us that sometimes obedience to God can cause suffering in this life. So walking obediently isn't a magical way to create a stress-free, problem-free life. This is a moment in the Psalms where we've got to interpret David's circumstances on this side of the cross. God showed his faithfulness to David in delivering him from the hand of Saul. Yet God has not promised to deliver us from all of our physical circumstances. But even while we're not promised deliverance from our physical circumstances in Christ, we are promised an ultimate and eternal deliverance from sin, death, and the wrath of God. So when the physical circumstances of our life might cause us to question the faithfulness of God, we must take our eyes off of what is seen and temporary and move them toward what is unseen and eternal. And when we do that, and look to the future through the eyes of faith, we will never question God's faithfulness to us. We're gonna come back to that more at the end, but for now, we've gotta keep moving. In verses 28 through 45, we see God's renewing strength. What the superscription makes clear to us at the beginning of the Psalm is that deliverance wasn't a one-time event in David's life. This was a season of life in which God delivered him over and over again from the hand of Saul and from the hand of other foreign enemies. But in spite of his chronic troubles, David always found his strength renewed. Even though his enemies would pursue time and time and time again, David never grew weary, at least weary to the point of ultimate despair. In verse 28, he says, for it is you, God, who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. This is a reference to the spiritual renewal that the Lord provided in David's heart. In verse 29, it says, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This is a reference to the physical renewal that the Lord provided to David in battle. And as you continue down in all these verses, we don't have time to, to look at each and every one of them, David attributes all of his military accomplishments to the Lord's equipping, training, and strengthening. So look down at verse 39 and 40. He says, for you equipped me with strength for battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. And in verse 43, it continues, you delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. So if you were paying attention, who do you see as the subject of all of those sentences? God. God gave David all that he needed to keep persevering through the ongoing trials of his life. 
And if you were to keep reading in verses 41 through 45, you would see that God ultimately didn't just sustain him, but provided the ultimate victory. We were at summer camp with middle schoolers and high schoolers just a few weeks ago at Garden City. And during free time in the afternoons, students were able to just go to the beach and uh, hang out and play in the ocean. As a result of some pretty heavy thunderstorms that had been in and out throughout the week, uh, the waves were enormous in the ocean and the rip current was very, very strong. And I would kind of hang out on the beach and just kind of play lifeguard and make sure no one was drowning. And uh, as I was out on the beach watching students play in the ocean, they would kind of trickle in small group by small group, two or three students at a time. And as they walked from the ocean out onto the beach, they were just like this, shaking their head, just, just worn out from fighting against the constant struggle of the current and the pounding of wave after wave after wave. The struggle had affected their body language. It had affected their voice. You could, could hear and see the weakness in their body. David surely experienced moments like that in his life. And maybe you're here this morning and that's you. The circumstances of your life have worn you down. It's changed your demeanor. It's changed the way you walk. You literally feel like you're carrying a weight on your back. David reminds us in these verses where rest for the weary comes from. His testimony of God's renewing strength reminds us of the call of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Or the words of Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Here's what David is telling us in this section of the Psalm. When we turn to the Lord in moments of distress, when the heaviness of life is pressing in, no matter how dark those moments are or how long lasting they are, he is what we need to persevere. He alone provides the renewal of your spirit and the sanity of your mind to keep walking when your world feels like it's crashing in on you. So in moments of discouragement and distress, we don't look to the things of the world to mend our shattered hearts. We call to him. He's a God who responds. He's a God who is faithful. And he's a God who will renew your strength when you ask him. Now as David closes, the final section of the Psalm harkens back to the first in verses 46 through 50. Having remembered all that the Lord has done, David bursts forth again in worship and praise to God. And we see David praising God for his present and future deliverance. Let's read 46 through 50. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. 
For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now, if you haven't caught the messianic signals up to this point, verse 50 makes things extremely clear. Who is David's offspring? Jesus. So what this shows us is that throughout the whole Psalm, David isn't just worshiping God for delivering him from Saul and his other earthly enemies. He's intentionally celebrating the salvation of God for the purpose of pointing us to the messianic king who's the ultimate picture of God's deliverance. So as David praised God for what was yet to come, the question for us today is, are we praising God for what has come? Are you praising God for delivering you from all of your enemies? Now, let me tell you what shouldn't be popping into your head right now. People. When I ask you that question, you don't need to think about that person who's giving you a hard time in your life right now. They're not your enemy. Ephesians 6.12 is very clear. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People, physical people are not our enemies. What Ephesians 6 says is that our enemies are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if you walked in here today thinking that your biggest enemy is that man or that woman who's making your life miserable, you're wrong. Your biggest enemy that you have no hope of conquering is the devil himself, who's roaming around, prowling like a lion, seeking who he can devour. And your greatest need for deliverance isn't from a person, it's from the bondage of sin. So here's the good news of the gospel in the words of Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. I love this line. One little word shall fell him. God will take care of the devil. In fact, God has already taken care of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. And God also, through the death and resurrection of Christ, has already taken care of our sin. In other words, God has defeated all of our worst enemies. So I wanna close by looking at Romans 8, 31 through 39, a passage that I believe captures the heart of Psalm 18 on this side of the cross. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just as God delivered David from Saul and all his enemies, God has delivered us from all of our enemies. And there's three distinct things in this passage that we must praise God for, for delivering us from. First, through Christ, God has delivered us from guilt to innocence. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. What a staggering claim for a room full of sinners to make. If you are in Christ, no matter what you've done, no matter what sins or, or the weight of your sin that you might feel this morning, no matter what someone might accuse you of or the heavy conscience that you might feel from past sins, no one can bring a charge against God's elect. If he has declared you innocent, no one can condemn you. Second, through Christ, God has delivered us from wrath to love. In our sin, God is just to judge us. And just like he moved swiftly and decisively against David's enemy, God has every right to move swiftly and decisively toward us as his enemies. But when we repent of our sins and look to Christ, praise God, he no longer judges us according to our sin. He judges us according to the perfect righteousness of Christ. And when we are united with Christ by faith, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Just like David piled on name after name for God in order to show the immeasurable goodness of God, Paul piles up every obstacle he can think of that might get in the way of God's love. And ultimately he says, none of them stand up. Nothing can stand in the way of God's love for us. And third and finally, through Christ, God has delivered us from death to life. According to verse 35 and 36, not even the sword can take the new life that we have in Christ. Christians truly should be the freest people on the planet. What's the worst thing that anyone can do to us? Kill us. And what does the Bible say? That's gain. The life that we have from Christ cannot be taken away from us. It is an imperishable seed that is eternal. Therefore, we've been delivered from the fear of death and can now rest in the freedom that comes with eternal life from our great deliverer, God. If you've never experienced this deliverance before, I want, you, I want to invite you to take hold of it today. If you find yourself here today in bondage to a certain sin, in bondage to your circumstances where you just don't know what to do, 
in bondage to fear, anxiety, or depression, what Psalm 18 teaches us is that God is able to deliver you from all of those things and beyond that, even from bondage to sin and death. Call on him today. Receive deliverance from all of your enemies. We'll have pastors down front who can pray with you and talk with you. Let's close our time together in prayer. God, thank you that we don't have to be strong. We're not strong enough. We're not strong enough to deliver ourselves from our own situations. We're not strong enough, certainly, to deliver ourselves from eternal condemnation. So thank you, God, that you are our great deliverer, that you have taken care of everything and you've called on us to call on you in repentance and faith. So I pray, God, that our hearts would be encouraged this morning by this terrible God, terrifying God, who is on our side, who fights for us when we call on him. Would you fill our hearts with worship? Would you call, cause us to praise you for the great deliverance that you have provided? We love you, Lord. You are our strength. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.